Transform your investment strategy with the MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2023 Trust. This unique offering exclusive to physician families uses non-traditional strategies that allow you to diversify your portfolio and potentially help grow your wealth over the long term. With access to institutional level private equity opportunities, this solution could be what you need to help you meet your financial goals. Learn more about this limited time opportunity at mb.ca slash private equity. Welcome to episode 29 of the MD Market Watch podcast. I'm your host, Alex Chung, content manager with MD Financial Management. I'm joined by Wesley Blight, portfolio manager, and Balgasm Ghazi, senior portfolio analyst, to discuss private equity, which is backed by popular demand via the launch of the MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2023 Trust. We reviewed private equity basics, how the asset class has been impacted by recent events, MD's private equity offerings, and more. Please enjoy. Bell, Wes, thanks for joining us today. Given the recent launch of the MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2023 Trust, I'm excited to have you both on to talk more about private equity. I think our listeners are curious to hear about what you think about the asset class, what it brings to the table from an investment management perspective, and how MD approaches private equity investing. Lots to discuss. Let's jump on in. Before we get into the meat and potatoes, this podcast might be the first exposure to private equity for some of our listeners. Do you mind running through a private equity 101, what it is and how it works? Happy to do that, Alex. We don't actually get asked that question all that much, but I think it's a really important one. Because of the growth of private assets overall, it's been a massive growth story over the last 10, maybe even extending back uh, over the last 20 years, but really over the last 10. And that includes real estate, private credit, private equity, infrastructure, any business that needs capital, but they're not actually accessing that capital from public markets. Private equity is the biggest and probably the most commonly known private asset class, but not necessarily all that well-known, if that makes sense. What it is, it's ownership of private companies. So sometimes that ownership can happen before a company is public, and sometimes it can happen after a company is public. And typically what you'll see is it's providing financing to companies that need an injection of equity capital. So that can range anywhere from a company that is really young and early in the early stages of development. That's really called venture capital. Then you can move into businesses that need capital for growth. So they need capital to expand their production, expand their regions, hire new people, or other means of generating growth. So they need capital to make that happen. Then there's the acquisition of more mature companies. Those are called buyouts. I would argue that the bulk of private equity that we read about takes place at that level. And then the last stage of a private equity company would be a capital that goes in and seeks to turn around distressed situations. The way it works is you'll have a variety of investment funds that go out and look to raise capital. That capital comes into the fund and then The company that has raised the capital, the fund that has raised the capital, will look to deploy it by making commitments and making investments into those underlying businesses that need the capital for growth, need the capital for a turnaround situation, or need the capital to really get themselves up and running. Yeah, thanks for that, Wes. Now that we have an idea of what private assets, private equity is, Bell, what are the asset class's merits in portfolio construction and to our investors? Sure, Alex. Well, for uh, many years, private equity has been a niche in investments universe dominated by ultra-wealthy individuals 
and institutional investors. However, today we are seeing that trends are increasing the prominence of the asset class and reinforcing the case for including it in long-term oriented portfolios across all types of investors. We believe bringing this asset class in the portfolio confers some important benefits. This include access to a broader set of potential opportunities and the ability to invest at an early stage in a company's existence, as Wes mentioned. Another merit is that, in our opinion, the private equity offers an attractive risk-reward profile, and the main characteristics that would support this are, first, the private equity managers are actively involved in the deciding on the strategic direction of their companies and have specialist value creation teams that are dedicated to a singular end, which are actively adding value to increase the return as much as possible in the long run. Second, private equity investments are less volatile related to public investments in the sense that they are less affected by immediate economic and market-based trends. The value of private equity investments is tied to company metrics and performance. They are not influenced by swings in the market. And finally, one of the major benefits of private equity is that private equity funds are not necessarily coupled to a particular market. And while economic conditions may affect the performance of portfolio companies at a fundamental level, private equity managers seek to create value over a long term and will not rapidly enter or exit investments based on market sentiment. The same goes for private equity investors who similarly seek out long-term returns. As a result, private equity funds have low correlation with public markets, making them an excellent diversifier. So in balance, private equity enhanced portfolio return, one, providing a valuable diversification as well as the access to a significant and best stable opportunity set that exists across the universe of private companies. Building off of that, Bill, you blogged about the state of private equity near the end of last year, given the volatility seen in both traditional equity and fixed income markets. It doesn't seem that long ago, but interest rates are a bit higher. We saw some issues pop up across U.S. regional banks, for example. How have things played out for private equity since then? Maybe you can provide some examples of some adjustments we've made. In fact, Alex, the impact of a regional bank's crisis has not been as high as expected. Companies we invested in are more cautious in how they are managing cash. Fund managers are similarly cautious and the direct impact has been more focused on venture growth, which we don't have a lot of exposure to. We reached out to the fund manager and confirmed that all portfolios companies has access to then fully insured deposit, have credit lines that are functioning normally and actively are evaluating opportunities to diversify their banking relationships. Regarding higher interest rate effect, indeed, it did impact the investment valuation. The private equity valuation overall declined, which is a good news, as the new investors will have opportunities of investing at lower entry point 
had less good news for existing investors as their investment value declined. However, the beauty of long-term investment is that they can continue to hold their investments until their value ramp up again. And this is the case for our current private equity solution, where some of the investments were expected to be realized or sold during this year, 2023, but given the lower valuation, their exit timing has been postponed for at least so a year. Of course, we're launching a new private equity opportunity, a little bit more on that later. But Wes, let's talk performance. How have things gone in the original MD Flatum Global Private Equity Pool? Alex, we're really happy with how the pool is performing. It is well ahead of expectations in terms of having made investments ahead of the pace that we expected to be able to make them. So that's referred to as pacing. And in terms of performance results, we're really happy there as well. So even with the challenges that were presented by the global pandemic, 100% of the pool's assets, so that's the capital that we raised from MD clients, has been committed to underlying investments. And 67% of that capital has actually been deployed or invested in companies. Now, 50% of the program is invested in primary funds. 32% is invested in co-investments and the rest is invested in secondaries. And the latter two, so the co-investments, that's a direct ownership of the company alongside another fund. And then secondaries, that is taking advantage of the secondary market where primary funds, so those are the initial funds that I talked about earlier are raised, they can be bought and sold in the secondary market. And by accessing both co-investment opportunities and secondary opportunities, that can help to manage the J-curve. And the J-curve is a typical experience for a private equity investment where in the early years, they actually have a negative IRR because you're taking your committed capital and you're going out trying to find investment opportunities that are suitable. And usually because of fees and the time it takes for an underlying company to sort of get up and running and, and really make positive returns, that causes that negative drawdown for a period of time. And then you get a recovery and that's what causes that J. We were able to avoid that J curve with our 2018 vintage because of the co-investment opportunities and secondary opportunities, allowing that positive cash flow to come in more quickly than we anticipated. At the end of September, the net IRR for this pool was 17.6%. That is well ahead of public market equivalents. In fact, it's 1,300 basis points ahead of the public market equivalent. That sounds like things are going really well. I know we have a very robust process, the analysis, the due diligence. Wes, do you mind sharing a bit more about MD's approach to private equity investing? Yeah, we're really proud of the process that we've built. I mean, I am very confident in how robust not just our search process, but our portfolio construction process really is. And that's true across all the mandates that we manage, but for private assets and private equity in particular, we're really focused on how do we get to realizing the objectives that we've set in the most efficient way as possible. What I'm talking about there is we're trying to, in the case of private equity, we're trying to hit an IRR target between 10 and 12%. And what we want to do is make sure that in pursuit of what is really kind of a, a lofty return objective that we're doing it in a well-diversified, appropriately managed portfolio from a risk perspective. 
So with that in mind, we screened over 800 managers that were offering new investments in private equity from across the globe. We also reached out to those where we have an existing relationship amongst those that are looking to raise capital with a strategy that's focused on either global private equity, European private equity, or US. Now in North America, in US in particular, that's the deepest, oldest, most robust markets. We're going to have the bulk of our investments there. We recognize there are tremendous opportunities in Europe, but we're probably going to dial back, and Bell's going to get into this a little bit more, but we'll probably dial back the exposure that we have to China. As we work through that search process, we started to eliminate those that have too narrow a focus in their strategy. And the reason for that is what I talked about earlier. When we're thinking about risk management, we're looking to maximize the diversity in pursuit of realizing our target return. And those that are really focused on, say, um, country-specific technology companies only, that doesn't really fit with the breadth and diversity that we're looking for. Then we look at lifespan. We're looking to make sure that the total time from the end of the commitment period through until the end of the life of that fund, so that's the term, the lifespan, we want to make sure that it lines up with our 10-year lifespan with two one-year extensions. And we're also looking for a good alignment of strategic intent. So from the more than 800 managers that we screened, we've got ourselves down to a much smaller number. We'll then send out an RFI, which is a request for information. And it pulls in all sorts of information around how they go about sourcing opportunities, how the manager goes about evaluating those opportunities, really their diligence process. And what we're looking for is a strategic alignment with what we're trying to do. And we're looking for those that have a philosophy that's aligned with what we're seeking to do as well. So kind of strategic intent, philosophy, both align with what we're looking to do. The philosophy needs to make sense. We're looking for companies that have a well-described thesis for how they're able to realize their objective. And then the process is well connected to that philosophy and it's robust. The process needs to really tie into the, the philosophy and you need to be able to tie a nice direct line between that process, that philosophy and the track record that's been realized. And then we want to understand from a people perspective that the people who are involved in sourcing, debating and selecting the investments that they want to make are consistent with the strategy that's currently being offered so that you can get some confidence that past results, although they're definitively not guaranteed, you've got a higher probability of them being repeated in the future. Then from there, as we're kind of working through an understanding of what that team structure looks like and what their decision-making framework looks like, we have an eye to how they manage the businesses that they own. And sometimes there can be a little bit of inconsistency between an identified opportunity and the ability to realize the value that's been created through the work. And we want to make sure that there's a lot of consistency there so that you can see the thesis for why the fund manager wants to buy a company through to them executing that strategy that creates the value and then all the way to their exit strategy. So when they go about selling that company, regardless of how they're going to exit the strategy, when they go about selling it, how are they able to realize the value that they have created, which turns into us realizing the IRR that we're seeking. So we are in the midst now of doing our diligence with those companies that have returned 
the request for information. And those are sessions where we're really going deep in understanding the decision-making framework. Once the decisions are made, how do they go about realizing the value that they're trying to create? Over to you, Bell. I know our listeners are curious about the brand new MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2023 Trust. What can you tell us about this new opportunity? What can we expect? And is anything new or different from the existing vintage? Definitely, we are excited to launch the brand new MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2022 Trust, which will be similar to our 2018 vintage in terms of strategy type allocation and geographic allocation. Similar to our successful private credit solution being built by the multi-asset management team, we will be selecting the underlying funds and managers to fulfill targeted allocations. Strategically, we will target a higher allocation to secondaries compared to 2018 vintage, up to 30%. And the main reason is the role secondary funds play in smaller the J-curve. And secondary funds typically return investors' capital sooner because they buy stakes at later stage in the private equity life cycle. And finally, investing in secondary funds offer greater investment opportunities as ongoing liquidity needs and portfolio rebalancing are expected to maintain a high level of market activity in this space. Well, that's great. Well, that answers all the questions I had for you guys today. Thank you, Bell, and thank you, Wes, for sharing your knowledge, and we appreciate it very much. It's always interesting to learn about alternative investments and what we're doing to lead the way. Thanks again. Thanks for having us, Alex. Thank you, Alex. As always, if you have any questions about what we spoke about today, questions about your portfolio, please don't be shy. Reach out to an MD advisor. Whether you're a client or not, we're here to help. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast provider. Check out our other market commentary content available on md.ca. You'll find blog posts, videos, and much more. Last but not least, thank you for listening to the MD Market Watch podcast. And thank you to all the doctors and healthcare professionals out there for taking care of us. Bye, everybody.